day came where we had to compete during the nationals. Obviously, a lot of my friends were ecstatic. They all bought tickets to come and support me. I remember specifically there were like 20 tickets my friends bought. And I went up on stage. And when I went up there, I suddenly felt not as confident as before. Because I could see the disparity or the difference of my physique against those other competitors were like a lot of, there were a lot of difference. I was losing confidence, you know. I went up there, flexed my muscles and when the results came out, I was actually out. Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. When you walk down a busy street, what do you notice around you? Do you notice the honking of angry taxi drivers, the stickiness of the humid air, the shuffling of human traffic? What about the rigidity of the concrete pavement, the sharp angles of towering buildings, or the deafening hum of power generators? Now try looking harder in front of you, the swarm of oncoming faces, and then tell me, what do you see in their eyes? Can you spot any hints of joy, excitement, or purpose? Or is it strained with worry, anxiety, and stress? For the better part of the past two years, I used to be one of the latter. Stuck in a job that I didn't like, filling my days with stress and worry and anxiety, and almost quite literally doing it for the sake of following the mob. You were secure in the comfort of the crowd. You dragged yourself to work and you soldiered on, for the paycheck, for the bonus, for the promotions, but ultimately, you could never be yourself, and that was why I left and forged my own path. But going your own way has its risks, and I often find myself wondering how long this can last, and whether or not the dream will ever shatter, and I fall down hard onto the cold hard face of reality. Instead of angry bosses and missed deadlines, this is the thing that keeps me awake now and is incidentally something that I share with our next story. In this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, we are going to be exploring these issues with the story of one of the living legends of Singapore's fitness scene, Kevin Chiak, someone who had his dreams crushed right in front of him. Hello, I'm Kevin Chuck, and this is my Screw Up Moments. Yes, yes, very much a late boomer, yeah, very late in fact. Well, I was pretty much like everybody else, you know, trying to uh, do the same thing, courtship, getting married, you know, having kids, and trying to build a career. 
that's the thing. It may not really match my personality because I'm. Uh, I, w- I would say I'm more vibrant than that. You know, I could say that I, in some way, I need and I seek attention. Yes. So while I was working as a freight forwarder and in other admin roles, I was. I, I feel that I am hiding in a cave. You know, I, I need to be roaring outside the cave. Well, when I was growing up, I would say that I was pretty much kept at home. I was the only child. By nature, I'm a very quiet person. I know some people who are listening to this might be laughing away, uh, but I need my personal space. I am very territorial, so you know, don't come within my circle. Obviously, I was living in my own small little world. Then, of course, when I had the opportunity to basically come out of that shell. I discover that I can be a different person, which is why I believe in epigenetics. I, you know, by DNA, I pro- I'm probably a very quiet and shy person, somewhat a pessimistic person as well. But after breaking up the shell and after being hatched, so to speak, uh, when I could flap my wings and could fly a little bit higher as I was taking that flight, things change. You know, I I feel that I could do more in life. Which explains why I was a late boomer, and why I also strongly believe in myself. You know, and I don't believe that uh, it's ever too late. Yeah. So uh, that's very, very, very interesting that you pointed that out because um, part of the story it was also mentioned that the way you got. Into the world of fitness and bodybuilding was that you saw Manhunt International on TV, right? Yes, yes, I I remember that occasion uh, very well because I was watching TV and it was a Manhunt International, and I remember the winner was from South Africa by the name of uh, LB Garden Highs, hmm. right? So he was a really Gorgeous man, gorgeous in the sense that he was macho. Obviously, he had you know uh, six packs, but more importantly, he he was charming. Mm. You know, I I got affected, and I felt that I could do more if not the same. Mm. I could see myself in it. I could be that different person. Yeah. So then, you know, you were mentioning earlier that when you were growing up, you were a pretty shy, quiet kid, pessimistic. You know, didn't have the see any opportunities to really express yourself then when when you saw Manhunt TV uh, and, and then you had this like sort of reflection in your mind was this like the that breakout moment the first time in your life where you were like, when you like, saw like oh this is that opportunity well uh, that was the opportunity mm. but however that opportunity was just showcased on TV mm. the real opportunity came the following year when I saw an advertisement by at that time, it was Metro Media that was the organizer for uh, Manhunt Singapore uh, and Senior Manhunt Singapore. So I thought that was a chance for me to basically jump into it and, and start moving. Right. Uh, obviously, I was training a little bit before that because after being inspired by his six packs and six foot tall and full of muscles, you know, uh, started me going to the gym and somewhat or other, I was already in preparation. You know, uh, and that helped a lot, uh, which is why today, you know, I always believe that you have 
to prepare yourself to be prepared, right? So a lot of people are not doing that. When the opportunity come, they're not prepared for it. Mm. By the time you're prepared for it, the opportunity has slipped away. At the point of the story, right before Kevin chanced upon Manhunt International on TV, he was a scrawny 28-year-old working in an admin role as a freight forwarder. So when he talks about being prepared for that opportunity to jump into the world of male pageantry, you can just imagine the transformation that was about to take place. The process was, like I mentioned, you know, it was that vision, uh, but never in the form of being a beautiful male, so to speak. Never been really a great looker. I never thought I was a great looker in any way. I'm, I'm not a very tall person, right? As a matter of fact, I'm shorter than most people. But when I saw that charm coming out from Albie, it was not about just the size, not about the height, not about where you come from, but more importantly, from within yourself. On the outside, in fact, I've changed a lot. I uh, was pretty much a skinny person all my life till uh, when I started this journey. At this point, I was already like 29, right? So when I joined and when the competition really uh, commences, I was already like uh, 30 years old, which is why I'm placed into the senior manhunt group. Uh, but more importantly is winning where I am. So I was basically participating to win. I was not in like what everybody else had for the experience to know more friends. Uh, I was really in to win, but of course the more honorable style, right? So I do put in a lot of work. I would even uh, prepare questions that I need to roughly answer, you know, because, you know, in pageants, they always ask you the normal questions. Why are you in this competition? Why are you, how do you make yourself more confident? Why are you the right winner for this? So I prepared myself for all those questions. I know I'm not a very bright person to begin with, but with the preparation, I can be as bright as anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, and so the, the thing I'm curious about is that what do you think was driving you uh, to, to be so determined and to be so diligent with all this practice and preparation during this period? I guess, like I said, is the the attention, you know, the progressive uh, portion of it. Because, mm. you know, I must admit that when I first joined, I was really raw. Mm. There are lots of things I, I do not know. I could not control. I, I can't even introduce myself well enough within a minute, right? And and we all know that that is almost like the first impression. Yeah. First impression, you know, uh, matters most during the first 50 seconds. Uh, I couldn't even do that. But because of, you know, the requirement for myself to be good enough to prepare myself, I really improved a lot during that, that moment. Contestant number 22, Vernon Fernandez from the West Coast Recreation Club. 
Contestant number 23, Kevin Chia from the Fitness Force. And obviously, when you are in the contest, you're exposed to many different people, uh, your fellow competitor, the organizers, the sponsors, the media, the photography sessions. Yeah, so all, all that helps you prepare for yourself. They add dimensions to your preparation. Yeah. So I think with that, it keeps you going. That was a great momentum. Yeah, that's interesting. So then, um, if I recall correctly, you participated in the senior manhunt category and you won that year, right? Yes. Yeah, so could you just describe uh, what it was like in participating in that competition and then what it was like winning that competition? Well, you know, like every other modeling contest and every pageant so to speak some of these very obvious criteria would be that you are good looking enough you are tall enough you know and I never really had all those qualities so when I wanted you know it was exactly how I was prepping it to be I have to win where other people are not even looking at uh, I believe, you know, in whatever you do, you have to be a good ambassador, whether it is for yourself, for your family, uh, for your loved ones, for your company. There are always people looking at you. And obviously, in the pageant, they are looking for that appropriate and great ambassador, not just that pretty face to hang on the wall. So I think that basically set me apart from the rest as far as you know how I won the competition right and how did it uh, feel after putting in all that effort to, to win uh, well I, f- I felt uh, obviously very happy uh, that you know uh, whatever I planned and schemed for has worked um, not really surprised right because I was expecting it but otherwise I think more importantly was then how to continue from there Mm, yeah. yeah, and so how did you uh, move on from that first uh, victory? After that victory, obviously, I've got a lot of media attention. Uh, you know, the next day I was on the headlines. We, we were on Sports Unlimited, Good Morning Singapore, Zawang Ninghao, because <laughs> at that point, Manhao was really quite a big thing. Yeah, yeah. So that kept me busy for a while. Obviously, I've got a lot of uh, uh, modeling assignments, opportunities. However, after a while, we, we got to get back to our roots and start working again to make money, yeah. right? So, life goes on till I found my next path again. Following his victory at the Senior Manhunt category in 1996, Kevin was able to leverage the media attention to transition out of his previous admin job and into more dynamic roles, such as being the marketing and sales director for the Singapore Discovery Centre, as well as the marketing and promotions manager for MediaCorp Singapore. But despite having these lucrative positions, Kevin felt that there was yet more that he needed to accomplish. And then, I don't know what is this thing, this bug came up again and said that I need to do something else, right? So that set me to basically go on to the next life path, so to speak. Yeah. 
I told myself that, you know, I've done the pageant, I've won the pageant, but otherwise I've never had a chance to be a sportsman. Uh, I've never set foot on the podium before. And obviously bodybuilding is the closest sport to what I've been doing. At that point, I was already 39 to 40 years old. So almost like 10 years after the men hunting. Then one fine day when I was at my table, I told myself I need to do something about this. So I made a call to the Singapore Bodybuilding Federation and spoke to the president. And uh, I didn't get to, to, to talk to him then, but I got his email, I emailed to him, uh, telling him that I want to make this my sport. I needed uh, guidance because uh, the sport is so much more different than, you know, when you're just doing it leisurely in the gym. You know, I, I could come in for their training program and start developing and training and, and prepping myself for the next competition. And the great thing was that he replied. And he said, you know, in that email that I, from the picture, he saw that I have a lot of potential. As a matter of fact, it seems to him that I, I even have the structure to be able to train myself and to be the next Asia champion. And he welcomed me to his office, you know, to meet up with him and to speak more about it. So I went up and met up with him. He assessed uh, my physique and he said that, you know, uh, they will take me in and start training me. Uh, and the Nationals then was about three months away. Uh, and that was a very important round because on that year, that was 2006. That was the Asian Games. And in order to qualify, I had to basically go through the Nationals. Obviously, you know, it was great publicity. Um, they informed the media. Uh, they came to interview me. And I was splashed over the, over the newspaper saying that, you know, the Manhunt champion is eyeing the bodybuilding crown. Yeah, so everything worked great. I was prepping myself. And then the day came, you know, where we had to compete during the nationals. Obviously, a lot of my friends were ecstatic. They all bought tickets to come and support me. I remember specifically there were like 20 tickets my friends bought. And it was a Saturday and then the finals was a Sunday. So then the Saturday was a pre-judging. Uh, obviously, if you go through the pre-judging, you compete as the finalist for during the national the finals. So Saturday came, I went up on stage, and when I went up there, I suddenly felt not as confident as before. Bird, I love you. Bird singing in the sycamore. 
Because I could see the disparity or the difference of my physique against those other competitors were like a lot of there were a lot of difference. I was losing confidence, you know. I went up there, flexed my muscles, and when the results came out, I was actually out. You know, I didn't go through the the first round. Obviously, it was a very sad thing. So, quietly, I went through the backstage, through the back door, and then went home. I still remember. I I was sad, angry, but at the same time hungry because I was dieting for three months, right? So the first thing I went was I went for my favorite fried chicken. I shall not mention the brand here. Um. Yeah, so I had a lot of fried chicken, and um, when I came home, and I thought to myself, "This cannot be the end of it," you know, nothing like this should end this way. When you put Kevin's story in the context of the other guests that we've had on this podcast, it can seem a little bit underwhelming. And for the more cynical listeners, they might even remark that it's just losing a competition. What's the big deal about that? Well, let me put it to you this way: Here I am sitting across from Kevin, this barrel-chested man with full-sleeve tattoos and biceps the size of my head. And as he tells me this part of the story, he is nearly in tears. So, objectively speaking, it might not be as bad as some of the other screw-ups that we've listened to. But I can assure you, for someone like Kevin who has put in the hard work and the passion and the effort and the discipline to get into that position only to fail, it is absolutely devastating. It was really embarrassing. As a matter of fact, you know. When you lost, you feel that you have lost everything that you have gained. Most people will feel that way. It, it was no different from me, you know. I felt that I've lost everything, but I told myself that first I I need to be responsible to the people who has been supporting me and who is going to support me the next day. Uh, so I had to call up everyone. Every single one to tell them that they don't have to go there because I won't be there on stage. I think everybody was feeling sad for me, but I told myself at that point when I was telling them that I am going to watch the finals and learn and and tell myself that you know I need to come back after this. So the next day, I went to the theater. I sat in the middle of the twenty seats, and I watched the competition. I witnessed the crowning of the twenty o six Mister Singapore, and I told myself, you know, I'm going to come back next year. And at that point, I also make a very drastic kind of a decision that I need to change my job. So I spoke to some of the people there. 
asking if there was a vacancy in the gym that I could be a trainer. And I want to do that is because I want to come back and I want to redempt myself. I want to focus on training and nothing else. So fortunately, you know, uh, somebody helped me with that, set up an interview, uh, and I started working in that gym. Well, I guess it's how bad I wanted it. And I think one needs to recognize why at a certain point they were not as successful. And I realized that I was too impatient. From the time when I established contact with the Federation to the time when I go on stage on the Nationals, it was only three months. I didn't have enough time, you know. I've, I've won something else before during the first attempt and me being praised of my potential put me into a different vehicle again, right? And that vehicle was, was called the Pride. Yeah, and one year later, of course, you know, I won the championship my first national title and then after three years uh, I then won you know the ultimate title I was thinking too much of the glory forgetting that you know there's always the other side of the story uh, but more importantly is how well prepared are you and I, obviously I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, I finally won the, the, the ultimate title of Mr. Singapore. So at that point, I, I felt that I'm really just not on the podium, but otherwise, even on top of that podium, right? I won the overall title. Yeah. Well, leading up to that day, I was already gaining a certain momentum. I was very confident in myself and I know eventually, right? It's just a matter of time. That, again, is because I'm very persistent. I know eventually I will definitely win. If not in 2010, it will be 2011. If not in 2011, it will be 2012. Because I know it's so near to my grabs, right? I mean, eventually it will be mine. Yeah, so it came through. Yeah, and so I think during that period, a lot of the articles were saying that about how you... Uh, at the age of, what was it, like 43? 44. 44, becoming Mr. Singapore. And how do you feel about that kind of narrative, you know, like late bloomer, then after all the journey, finally, finally making it? <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it just confirmed one thing is that, you know, it is never too late. Life is not ended till it's ended, right? So one should continue to pursue uh, to persist in, in their dreams till the day comes to an end. So I guess um, maybe just to bookend the whole story, right? You started out as an admin assistant, shy, uh, didn't really know how to express himself. You saw an opportunity on TV and then throughout your whole journey, you eventually became that person on TV. What do you have to say about that? Or what do you think about that? 
Yeah. Uh, I would still think I'm a very lucky person in that sense that uh, I had a chance to discover myself a little bit more through this journey. The successes were great, you know. The victories were, were fantastic. But the failures, the losses were great because they were great lessons to be learned. And together with that, you know, I really hope to be able to advise more people to be the guidance to our athletes, right? And one of the most important things, one of the most important lessons is about not limiting yourself. Be ready, be prepared, right? Take your time to learn, take your, your time, the time to grow, and then you are ready for that success. Mm. So I think my, my journey, though, is not at all that fantastic to travel on seriously, but otherwise, it was a great journey for me to learn a lot of things in which I believe I could use that again. You know, um, I learned through my failures. But more importantly, I also learn from my successes. Yeah. yeah, thank you for for telling your story. I think I don't know when people listening, you are like a very strong role model <laughs> for a lot of people. I think. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, I I still think I am I'm still young and I still can be the role model again and again, right? But otherwise, really, thank you, Happiness Initiative, for for giving me this chance to voice out and to be part of this so that more people who might be traveling the same journey as what I've done uh, if not you know uh, be prepared for the journey ahead and best wishes to to everyone listening in and so with that brings the end to today's episode thank you so much for tuning in and much thanks to Kevin Chuck for sharing his truly incredible story I know this isn't the most conventional episode that we've had, but Kevin's character and spirit resonate so much with the message that we're trying to send that we had to include this in, and we hope you can agree as well. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast is brought to you by the Singaporean Social Enterprise Happiness Initiative, an organization that advocates for happiness and well-being through their message that happiness can be a choice. Production and editing was done by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions, with assistance from Clarissa Wemple and executive producers Simon Liao and Sherman Ho. Music used throughout the episode was from Blue Dot Sessions, and this episode features a guest cover of Dream a Little Dream of Me by Macy Choi. The theme song was composed by Rico Lowe and Julian Law. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email sumsgpodcast at gmail.com or through the various social media links in the description. Once again, this has been your host Danny for this Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again.